love you. We appreciate you. Um, I remember seeing a movie one time where uh, I can't remember the exact storyline, but I remember the guy was in some type of public place and sat there looking like he was minding his own business. And all of a sudden, five or six guys came up to him and started to pick a fight. That, that scene's probably been in dozens and dozens of movies over the years and television shows. And so they went up and for a period of time, he, he was ignoring them. It's like, you know, guys, go ahead. I, don't, I want to finish my eggs or whatever it was he happened to be eating at that, that restaurant. And so finally, uh, they convinced him to go outside with them. And so here he was standing outside of this public place, darkened street, five or six uh, men standing around him, telling him all the things that they're going to do to him, and none of those things were nice. And so he's still remaining calm, cool, and collected, and he begins to tell him, he says, guys, listen, are you sure that you want to do this? And as he says that, they're like, well, who do you think you are? And he's like, listen, you have, you have one last opportunity that we can just walk away. He said, listen, I don't want any trouble with anyone. He said, I'll just go back in and finish my meal, and you guys can do what you're going to do. He said, I don't want any trouble with anyone. And they persisted. And so he began to tell them. He's like, you know, here's what's going to happen. I'm about to tell you what's going to happen. And he begins to tell them that he's trained in some type of military special forces and he's got the capabilities and all these things that he's done. And he's telling them, he says, listen, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen at the end of this con confrontation. He says, I'm going to severely hurt several of you. And he said, I'm not going to hurt all of you. He said, because once I hurt two or three of you, he said, a couple of you guys aren't going to want any of it. You're going to run off and leave your buddies here laying on the ground. He said, but I'm obligated to tell you what I'm going to do to you. That way you can avoid the circumstance if you really want to. Well, what do you think happened? you think that they said, you know what, sir, we're really sorry for stirring you up? You know, they said, well, you know what, we're going to find you anyway. Obviously, you know what happened. Five or six men were laying there on the ground, and he went back in afterwards, and finished up his dinner. You know, I say that because a lot of times that's what the Word of God does to it. We open it up. The Word of God comes and tells us exactly what it's going to do to us. It says that I'm about to confront you. We get the credentials of it. We, it says that I'm about to mess you up. And you can either walk away or you can take your whooping. Now, how many of you besides me have found yourself surrounded by the Word of God in your darkened situation and you had the choice either to walk away or to take your whooping. John 3.16, you know it. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You know that, right? Ephesians 2.8, you know that. By grace we're saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Hebrews 11.6, without faith it's impossible to please him. He that believes in him must... Uh, believes in God, that comes to God, must believe that he is. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Matthew 3, 1 and 2, in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. John 15, 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, if you're going to be surrounded by something, surrounded by the word of God, those are five pretty tough guys to be surrounded by. Now think about this, those five passages just that I mentioned just now, and the one that we're really going to talk about tonight, are probably six of the most 
powerful and essential passages in the New Covenant. Now, there's not one of those passages that I've read to you that, that, that you've not worn over many times. John 3.16 or Ephesians 2.8 or Hebrews 11.6, all those things that you've heard time and time and time again. Why are they so familiar to you? They're familiar to you because they're so important to you. But so, so oftentimes what happens is those things that are so important and so valuable to us, we forget their value because of familiarity. But you give me those five scriptures, just simple scriptures right there that we know, and I'll tell you what, you allow me to take someone that never has been introduced to the Word of God, and let me teach them and give them a thorough understanding of those five verses alone, I'll tell you what, you're going to have someone to be contended with. You're going to have somebody that's powerful. Somebody can just get a hold of the revelation of just those five verses in their life. They're going to be powerful. I was talking to somebody just the other day, and I said, listen, they're asking me some questions. I said, listen, here's your problem. I said, you don't have to know everything. You just need to know what you know real good. You hear what I'm saying? You don't have to know everything, folks. You know what? You may not be able to, to, to quote as many verses as another person or do this. You may not know all the addresses to the scripture and say, well, I kind of know that, but I still don't know. You don't have to know everything. You just need to know what you know real good. Then you become that force to be reckoned with. I want you to consider something tonight as I mentioned that. In, in light of those first five verses that we've talked about in, in 1 John, and I want to I want to read those out to you tonight as we get started. It says, that which was from the beginning, we have heard, we've seen with our eyes, we've looked upon with our, uh, we've looked upon it with our hands, we've handled the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show of you that eternal life, which was with the Father, it was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare unto you that you may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and all these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. And in verse 5, this is then is the message which you have, we have heard of him, and we declare to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. The last five weeks, I guess it is now, we talked about origin, we talked about authority, and we talked about intent. So what John did when he, when he showed up, he got called out, so to speak, by the circumstances affecting the church. And so he came out and he began to be like that guy standing in the midst of those five bullies. And he said, I want to give you my credentials real quick. Because when I'm finished, he said, you're either going to walk away from what you thought was the truth, from that error that you've been in, or you're going to take a whooping. That's what John did. John said, I'm about to lay something on you because I have the origin, I have the authority, and I have the right intent that I'm going to lay something on you that's going to change the circumstance all the way around. I want to ask you a question tonight. Why would the Apostle John and me tonight, why would we take such an initial stand before advancing any further into this letter? Why is it so important that we take such a definitive stand and we say, listen, here is who I am. Here's where I came from. Here's the expectation. Here, here's what God desires. Here's what you can expect to happen. You know, sometimes when you take a stand like that, it's like, well, let's just get to it. Well, when we just want to get to it, sometimes we, we really miss the point of it. Why? Because we're so overly familiar with something, we forget the depth and the breadth and the, and the, and the, and the, the gravity of the circumstance. Well, here's why he took the time to do that, because they, just like us, 
They were about to receive the truth that if it was unsubstantiated, so to speak, if, if he didn't provide the background for what he was about to say, it would seem to be like something that was so easily dismissed or impossible to really take in. So to substantiate something is to say, listen, I want to make this so crystal clear. That way when you hear it, you don't just dismiss it. Because, folks, many times we read the Word and we see something God does that's so incredible. We do something, see something that God says that challenges us to a place in our life, and it is so easily dismissed. We see it throughout the Word of God. We see it with God's promises. We, we see it with the finished work of the cross. Here Jesus came, and, and he, he presents himself as the Savior of the world. Now, yeah, a certain group of people embraced him, but other people couldn't get it. They couldn't see it. He said, listen, my kingdom doesn't come with observation. He said, my kingdom's within you. They couldn't see that. They couldn't embrace it. They, they, they could not even see that the prophets had substantiated it hundreds and even thousands of years prior to, to, to his incarnation. They, they could not see that. And so what happens with the church today, just like it happened in the, in the first century church, God brings a great truth that because we have not grounded ourselves and seen that word substantiated in us, it's just so easy to pass off as the responsibility of someone else. And you know, I've talked about this and I've pointed out throughout this study of John that John utilized really a phraseology in regards to his vantage point. And he kept saying this. He said, that which you have heard, or that which we have heard, we're still hearing. You hear what I'm saying tonight? The same thing that I heard nearly 30 years ago that changed and transformed me, I'm still hearing it. The same voice, the same transformation, the, the same truth, I'm still hearing it. That's what John said. That's what I'm saying today. The same thing that delivered me, I'm still hearing it. So it's not like I have anywhere else to go. It's kind of like when Jesus fed the 5,000 and he looked and they were all gone. He looked at his disciples and they said, he, he asked them, he said, so are you going to leave too? And they said, Dave, where would we go? You have the words of life. We heard it and we're still hearing it. I, I heard freedom and I'm still hearing it. He said, the things that we've seen, we're still seeing. He said, the things that we've touched and we've laid Hold on, we're still touching and laying. Hold on. Nearer is my salvation, even when I first believed. As, as sweet as it was to hear then, it's sweeter now. As sweet as it was to see then, it's sweeter now. As sweet as it was to touch then, it's sweeter now. Folks, listen, we can't digress from that place. We've got to press in. That's what Paul the Apostle, in, 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 in that Philippian letter, he said, listen, guys, he said, I, I'm not telling you I've got where I want to go yet. But he said, I got one thing figured out. He said, I'm forgetting those things that are behind. In other words, I'm not going to rest on the laurels of past experience. He said, I'm going to keep on seeing. I'm going to keep on hearing. I'm going to keep on touching. I'm going to keep on pressing towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So, folks, think about this just for a second. This epistle was written probably 60 years after Jesus' death upon the cross. Think about that. John the Apostle wrote this letter to the church 60 years after the fact. But he was still hearing 60 years later. He was still seeing 60 years later. He was still touching 
60 years later, still true. It's just as wet upon his lips. It was just as true to his heart. It was just as sensitive to his spirit as it was the day that he saw Jesus Christ die upon the cross and the day that he rose from the dead. It was still every bit as powerful as that. Let me ask you that question tonight. Is it still there with you? Are you still hearing? Are you still touching? Are you still seeing? It literally had been a lifetime since he had physically spent time eating, traveling, learning from the Messiah, yet he demonstrated that the truth never diminished in power or authority, and that the indwelling person of the Holy Spirit brings and provides a daily refreshing and fellowship just like that manna from heaven. You know why people get discouraged in the faith? Why? Because they want to store up something from yesterday. They want to store up a little something like a like, like a snack in a bag and say, you know what, I'm just going to keep this in just case I need it later. Rather than say, you know what, give me today my daily bread. Give me what I need today. That way, when it comes down to it, I'm still seeing, I'm still hearing, and I'm still touching. Folks, listen. The revelation of Jesus will outlast your unbelief. Do you hear me? It's going to outlast your unbelief. The, the blood of Jesus will endure through your trials and tribulations. The power of the Holy Spirit will sustain you through any measurement of time, regardless of what that is. But folks, here's what happened then, and here's what's happened now. False teachers, in this case we talked about the Gnostics, they've come with the intention of sweeping away that which was and is established through that God-breathed word of truth. But think about this. I say it 5919. You know it. You may not know the address, but when I say it, you'll know it. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. Now you're saying to yourself, what does that have to do with 1 John? Folks, it has everything to do with 1 John. It has everything to do with you tonight. It has everything to do with your struggle. It has everything to do with the circumstances you find yourself in. Why? Because the flood was a flood of false teaching that had come in, and God was about to raise up a standard through this voice. And folks, listen, I believe in here when people begin to hide God's word in their heart, not to sin against Him, not to allow that standard to, to be diminished, I believe that God will withhold, God will push back those forces and so this flood of false teaching brought up a standard, and this is it. It's, you can't do it. That's what it came in and said. It says, it's impossible. You can't resist sin. Tell me if you've heard these things before. You're just a poor old sinner saved by grace. You'll, you'll, you'll fail every single day. You're not strong enough. You just need to uh, get back in reality. You just need to face the facts. You just need to, to learn to deal with it. That's a bunch of legalism. That's just a bunch of condemnation. Uh, you, you have freedom in, in God to keep on sinning if you want to. Now think about those things. Think about that flood of all of those things that have come in and inundated the body of Christ just like they did in the first century church. That was and is the flood that's come upon the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But folks, listen. The truth of God's word has come to dam up those damnable heresies. It is. It's come to dam up. It's come to, to, to raise up a standard, to hold back that flood, to, to, to hold back this thing that would desire to sweep in and bring destruction upon the church. I want to give you something tonight in regards to what we're about to talk about in 1 John 1 and 6. I want to give you four primary types of floods. 
four primary types of floods. I want you to see how that's relevant to what we're talking about right here, what was happening to the first century church, what John had to address there in this epistle. Four primary types of floods. Number one, urban flooding. It's a type of flood. You can look up types of floods. Here's what you're going to find. Urban flooding, typically caused by a lack of proper infrastructure. Urban flooding. What, two weeks ago when they began to do this work right here in Kenner on Roosevelt Street, somebody had the grand idea that they needed to come here and cover up all the drainage out here on this street. So they came and they laid these big sandbags with like a canvas top on them all along uh, Roosevelt Street, all the way from right here to from West Metairie, all the way down to Airline. Now, just a couple days after they laid those things down, people were driving by and said, what are they trying to keep out of those drains? Well, what they were trying to keep out of those drains was probably not this big torrential rainstorm that came a couple days later, and all that water began to back up into all these people's yards and nearly into their doors. So what do you think the, the city of Kenner did and the, the subcontractors? They began to race out here and, and, and walk into these things uh, uh, knee-high in their waders and began to pull those things off that they covered. You know, their intention wasn't to keep those things back. But here they were. They found themselves trying to, trying to circumvent the infrastructure that caused the problem. So urban flooding is something that happens because the infrastructure is incorrect. Hosea 4.6 says this. It says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because you've rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. How many of you know that we're all called to be kings and priests and we're a royal priesthood? He said, but since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. Folks, listen, where we perish, where we struggle is from a lack of infrastructure, from a lack of the word of God, from a lack of hiding the word in our heart. What is it that's going to keep us from falling? It's the fact of the matter is in the knowledge of Christ Jesus and the expectancy that he has for us. The first century church, what had happened, they stopped hearing, they stopped seeing, they stopped touching, and they began to embrace these other things that were more tantalizing to the flesh and circumstance. And so they started basing things not upon an eternal truth, but on a momentary experience. And so they lost the basis for an infrastructure. It became like a spiritual urban flood. It had nowhere to go. 2 Timothy 2.15 tells us to study to show ourselves approved, build that infrastructure, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Folks, what's your defense from urban flooding, from not having the right basis? It's sound discipleship and a commitment to God's word. That's it. You want to have the right infrastructure? There's no shortcut. It's not join the right church or be recognized by the right denomination or having a title in front of your name. You've got to, to dedicate yourself to discipleship. You've got to dedicate yourself to a commitment to God's Word, to studying the Word of God. That's what happened when, when, when John showed up. People got lazy in the faith. So somebody showed up in the moment like that urban flood, and they were able to come in and, and wash over them. Why? Because the people did not have the structure in their own lives to recognize it. Folks, you know what happens when you get the Word of God in your life? When you get that spiritual infrastructure in you, you know what happens? It sets you apart. Then anytime you hear something that's a little bit off, that radar goes up. And you say to yourself, listen, there's just not something right about that. 
know, it seems okay, it sounds okay, but there's just something that's just a little bit off plumb. Folks, listen, that's knowing the word, that's hiding the word in your heart. The second type of flooding is called coastal flooding. We know all too much about that right here in southeast Louisiana. Coastal flooding is caused by the pushing of water upon exposed areas as a result of storms. Coastal flooding caused by the pushing of water upon exposed areas as a result of a storm. Luke 6.49 says this. It says, But the one who hears my words and does not put them into place is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. We hear about coastal erosion all the time. We, we hear about all these things that are that are intruding upon our, 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 our wetlands, all these things that are taking those, what is that? That's not having an infrastructure. That's not having anything that's going to cause that erosion. As those, those coastal floods come in, what do they do? They begin to eat up the coast. And so what's interesting, you can have just the opposite effect with the deposits in a river. You, know, you think about the silt that comes out of a river. What does it do? It builds the land. But as soon as a, a coastal flood comes in, what does it do? It draws all of that out. Why? Because that silt, while it looks like a, a, a foundation, it's still very spongy. It's not solid. And so the coastal erosion or the coastal flood comes in and pulls those things back. Ephesians 6.12 says this, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. He says, wherefore take unto you what? The whole armor of God, that you might be able to withstand the evil day, having done all to stand. In other words, don't have any exposed areas on your coastal wetlands. Don't have those things exposed when the flood comes in. It draws away from the foundation of your life. What's the defense? Well, coastal flooding, the defense is to repair those areas that are easily breached. Didn't we experience that after Hurricane Katrina right here in the New Orleans area? Well, they go in, they went and found out that the Army Corps of Engineers, whoever they wanted to blame at that point, didn't put the proper uh, 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 type of uh, deterrence in place. They didn't have the, the, the right things in the levee system. They didn't, uh, they, they didn't build up the, the infrastructure enough. And so what happened when those coastal floods came in, what did it do? It washed out the levees and it began to flood the city, even after the hurricane didn't affect us. It was a flooding afterwards. Why? Because there was a coastal flood. You have to build up those areas that are easily breached. The third type of flood is flash flooding. Flash flooding. It's caused by high saturation of rain. High saturation of rain in a concentrated area. It's more, most dangerous when the ground is hard and dry because it provides a surface to carry the water quickly and powerfully. It's caused by high saturation of rain in a concentrated area. It's most dangerous when the ground is hard and dry because it provides a surface to carry the water quickly and powerfully. Folks, isn't that the way that happens, the flash flood happens in your life? When you're dry spiritually, when your heart's been hardened, it doesn't matter what comes in. What's it that sweeps you away just like that? Somebody can say something, you get offended just like that. Somebody can look at you wrong, you get offended like that. It just sweeps you away before you know it. It's just that little, small, concentrated area. It's not a big deal, but it doesn't have to be a big deal. Why? Because it comes at that, 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 that time that you're most vulnerable for those things to happen. Ephesians 4.14 says this. It says that we henceforth are no more children tossed to and fro and carried away by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait 
to be deceived. Folks, that's what false and erroneous teachings like. It's like a flash flood. You get somebody that, that's vulnerable in a situation in their life because maybe a struggle or whatever else, and you have someone come in with just a concentrated effort and speak to that. Try to try to mollify a situation. Tell them, you know what? You you have the right to be hurt. You have the right to be offended. You have the right to this. Or you know what? God doesn't really want that from you. What ends up happening? Before you know it, it's like a root of bitterness that comes in and begins to defile all these other areas. That thing that was so concentrated because it fell upon a ground that was hard, because it fell upon a place that was cracked. Because it fell upon a place that was dry, what did it do? It able to provide a platform for that thing to become like a vehicle that floods everything in its paths. Hebrews 3 and 8 says this, Do not harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion during that time of testing in the wilderness. What's your defense against flash flooding? Well, it's called humility. It's called a teachable spirit. You don't want the enemy to be able to flash in on you and you think, man, that person... Or myself, man, we were serving God, and all of a sudden, it's just like, what happened to him? Well, no, I humble myself. He gives grace uh, to, the, to the humble, but he rejects the proud. The fourth type of flooding is this. It's river flooding. River flooding. It's the overfilling of rivers due to extended storms and rainfall. Overfilling of rivers due to extended storms and rainfall. It's the most dangerous and the most destructive type of flood. Why is that? Because it, the threat builds with time. That's why. It builds with time. The river's six foot from cresting. The river's five foot from cresting. The river's four foot from cresting. It builds over time. And it always starts with an existing source. It's something that's been there for a long time. It utilizes something that's been there. Matthew 7.15 says this. It says, watch out for false prophets. It says, they come in to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. Folks, you know what the most dangerous type of false teaching is? The type you've been around for a long time. Isn't it? The type that's cozied up to you long enough, and you've allowed it to be kind of interwoven woven into you like a fabric that's been there the whole time. That's the most dangerous type of teaching. It's a teaching that you grew up with. It's a teaching that's just been there forever, just waiting to topple over. You know, myself, I grew up in a family that, that taught once saved, always saved. They did. They taught it. You know what? It had been there for so long, and it, it, it seemed so good. It seemed so great until I read the Bible. Now, there's nothing I would rather believe. You know what? If that was the case, then what's saved always saved? Man, I'd just go get a bunch of people to repeat a, a sinner's prayer and say that they're saved, and man, the world would be a happier place. The problem is, I know that's not true. Even though that was something that was prevalent in my family for years and years and years, I wouldn't even sit there and let that thing overflow me. Some of us have seen these things in our life. We, we, we talk about frequently in some of our discipleship classes, these things that have come into the church for years and years and years. They've been there. Anybody seen ones at Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames? The, and at the end of the thing, at least so I hadn't seen it in 15, 20 years. At the end of it, they have this scene where Jesus and the devil are locked in this battle and Jesus takes the keys from the enemy. Now, that's real nice, except that's not in the Bible. Only two times are keys even mentioned, I believe, in the New Testament. It's Matthew 18. 
And also it's in what in Revelation chapter one. He tells tells Peter, Behold, I give you the keys to the kingdom. He says in Revelation one, he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first lesson, behold, I hold the keys to, to hell and to death. And so just those those times, it's not talking about something that he had to wrest from the adversary. So we see those things, but they've been there for so long. They've been there. And so we we look at these things and we we, we just kind of have learned to, to deal with them. You know what? Maybe one day, you know what? It's not that big a deal. Well, it's not that big a deal until it comes over the top. Second Peter 2.17, it says, They're like springs without water, mist driven by a storm for whom the blackness of darkness has been reserved. Folks, what's the defense for that? It's moving away from those low-lying areas. It's not saying that I'm just going to put bigger stilts on my house. It's saying that I'm going to come out from among those things and I'm going to be separate. Folks, I cease to exist with those things that are destructive. And so, folks, that's what John was saying. He said, listen, the enemy has come in like a flood. He's attacked you in all of these areas. He's, he's wanting to come, but you've got to begin to raise up something about it. He, he established the, the basis for everything about it. I want to let you know where I'm coming from because I'm about to drop something on you is what he's saying that's a game changer. Now, folks, I want you to just going to read. We're going to go ahead and read verses 6 through 10 together. He said, if we say that we have fellowship with him, but walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. He said, if we walk in the light as he is the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus. His son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. How many of you have heard at least those verses extracted from time to time? For faithful, confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You've heard that, right? How about if we say that we have no sin, that we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us? We, we've heard those verses. But when we heard them, did we hear them? within the context of what he's talking about here. And we hear him in the context of him saying, listen, I'm telling you, there's some false teachers that are coming in. Now listen, folks, the false teachers that were coming in were not false teachers that were coming in and telling people that, listen, you're, you're okay, that you're, 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 you, know, you, can, you, you can walk in righteousness, you can walk in holiness, and, and the people weren't saying, well, no, no, we can't do that. We're, we're, we're born again. We, we're new creatures. That wasn't the situation. The situation was that they were coming in and telling people, listen, it's just your flesh sinning. You're just an old sinner saved by grace. You can keep doing those things. You can keep sinning because it's not your spirit man sinning. You won't be, you can't help yourself. And so within the context of this, it was a people that was coming in that would seem so different than what John was addressing, if we look at it in the way that people address it today in the church. But the problem is in verse 6, he said, if we have fellowship with him, if we have koinonia with him, if we have that genuine relationship with Jesus, we walk in darkness, he says we lie. And we do not the truth. What's he saying? I've talked about this in, for years. You know, you go into a hotel room, they got the blackout shades. You walk into that place, and it's at nighttime, you walk into that room, the light's on in the middle of the room, just like it would be here, and you hit the switch. What's the first thing that you see? darkness, right? 
It's dark. It's black. But sis, what happens if you stand there for a few minutes? What begins to happen? You begin to adjust to the darkness. Now, that light hasn't turned on. There's no electricity going through it. The filament is not bright. But what's happened? Your light hasn't gone in the darkness. You've opened yourself up to the darkness. Your pupils have dilated, and you've allowed that room to come into you. Folks, that's what John was saying right here at the church. He says, listen, what you've done is you've heard all these, this flood has come in in all these different ways in your life, and you've just adjusted to the darkness. And so just because you can see kind of the, the, the semblance of what it used to be, just because it kind of has the outline, you, you've convinced yourself that you can still see. Now, folks, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ right here today, and I'm not talking about a church on this corner, a church here tonight, or a church somewhere. I'm talking about the body of Christ, the church. <laughs> Take a good look. The church is adjusted to the darkness. And just because we can see the outline of what used to be, we think we can still see. Just because we the, the, the song has the same words, we still think the Spirit's there. Just because you, you still hear a Shonda and an Iki Mohawk, you, you still think the Spirit is being poured out. Just because you've got the same figurehead or this and that or whatever's happening, you want to convince yourself that everything is okay, but what we've done is just strictly adjusted to the darkness. Folks, where have you adjusted to the darkness? Where have you adjusted to your circumstance and said, listen, I'm just going to learn to live within the parameters that I've allowed into my life rather than saying, God, you've got to raise up a standard against those things. Folks, here's the danger in that. He said, if we say that we have fellowship with him, we have a genuine relationship with him, but we adjust to the darkness, he said, you're a liar. What was the sin? The sin was compromise. The sin was just making those adjustments so you'll be able to receive the world without any conflict. You're okay, I'm okay, let's just all get along. Never raising a standard back up. Never allowing the Spirit of God to come in and let that light shine before men. Never laying down the gauntlet. Never making a, 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 a firm commitment to anything. He says, if you do that, you are a liar. Well, Revelation 21.8 tells us the end of the liar. What is it to cast into the lake of fire with a lot of other folks? Then he goes on to say, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we will have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we do what? If we walk in the light. His word is a lamp under my feet. His word is a light under my path. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. The word was God. That light became the light of Man, if we walk in truth, John was telling that early church, he's saying, listen, darkness is coming in, a flood is coming in all these different areas of your life. He said, but the way out of that is you've got to come back to a place of fidelity to the Word of God. The Word of God is the, your, your, your only deterrent to those things that are coming at you. You cannot adjust. You cannot say, well, that's just the way you think. Or you can't just say, well, that's just the way you feel. Or that's just your perspective. He says, you do that. What you've done is you've adjusted. He said, but 
If you walk in the light of God's truth, if you let that word be the foundation of everything in your life, he says then, just like he said up there, then we'll have fellowship with one another. Then two will be able to walk together because they'll be in agreement. They'll be in agreement with what? There'll be agreement with the Word of God. Folks, here's the thing. I've, I've said this for years as well. If you don't have Bible, if you don't have Word, you don't have anything. You know what? I'm personally, no offense, I'm not interested in anyone's opinion. That's real good for you. But at the end of the day, I'm not interested in any opinion. Why? Because there's no scripture that's given of, of private interpretation. No, no, no opinion. At the end of the day, there's one truth. There's one life. There's one way. There's one source. There's one right answer. It's not this plethora of things that we just hope we choose something that's close enough. That's just adjusting to the dark. He says, but if you walk in the light, as he's alive, we'll have fellowship with one another. And then, and then the blood of Jesus will cleanse us from all sin. Folks, listen. He was telling the church then, just like the word's telling us now, good intentions are not going to cut it at the end of the day. It's got to come down. The only way that the blood of Jesus will cleanse you from all your sins is if you come back to the source of that light, that truth. But what happens is people perish. There's that flood because of a lack of knowledge. Have you ever thought to yourself, why can't I get free from my sin? Well, because you're not walking in the light. You say, I have struggles in my life. You show me a person that, that, that struggles, that has systematic struggles in areas of life, I'm going to show you a person that does not have an understanding of God's Word. Chances are that reason is because they're not in God's Word. They don't study God's Word. They don't know what God expects from them. So as a result, there's no standard for them. And so when the enemy comes in, like a flood, whatever thing, because they don't have the right infrastructure, if, if they haven't had their armor on, if they haven't done these things, what's going to end up happening? It's going to roll at the very foundation they're going to topple. If we say we have no sin, pay attention to this verse. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have no what sin? Has he mentioned drinking or smoking or cursing or adultery? Is that the context of this chapter? Has he mentioned that? So what did he start out this, this, this dissertation with? Well, verse 1-6, if we say we have fellowship with him, but we adjust to the darkness, we're liars. And so the sin that he's talking about is not just any general sin. It's saying, he's saying, listen, if you say that you're not adjusting to the darkness, if you say you're not making concessions for your flesh or for your unbelief or for the false teaching, that's the sin that he's talking about. He said, if you say you're deceiving yourself, and the what's not in you? The truth is not in you. Because if I know truth, what does truth do for me? It makes me free. There's a freedom that comes from truth. John 17, 17. What does he tell us? He says, listen, Father, sanctify them by thy word. Thy word is truth. And so he said, listen, if you're adjusting the darkness, if you're making concessions for false teaching, these things, it says that you can live any way you want to, and, and, and God's grace is sufficient for you, and, and God's just so merciful. 
What have you done? You've taken the grace of God and the blood of Jesus and you've made it of none effect and you, you trampled it under your feet. Why? Because God's grace didn't come to, to set you free to sin. It come to set you free from sin. So Joshua preaches on the streets. He's like, listen, what, what kind of God would it be to come and deliver you from sin and just leave you there in it? What kind of love would that be? What kind of freedom would that be? What kind of mercy would that be? What kind of Savior would it be that's going to rescue you from a shipwreck and throw you back overboard? So John's saying, listen, if we say that that's not our problem, he says, listen, he said, you're deceived. And it's apparent that the truth of God is not in you. But here's the good news. He always brings us good news. But if we confess our sins, what sins? We say to ourselves, you know what, God? I've adjusted to the darkness. I've made concessions because of my hurt, because of my past, because of my circumstance, because of, you know what? Man, I really like that guy on television. He made me laugh. Or I like that preacher on TV. Man, he just, he had some real neat stuff. So you know what? I kind of ignored that stuff that, you know, just didn't sit right in my spirit because, you know what, he's he's pretty good. I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, chew up the grass and spit out the sticks. How many people have said that? In other words, I'm going to adjust to the darkness. Well, you know what, I'm just waiting on God. Well, God ain't nowhere near that stuff. What are you waiting on? You're not waiting on God. God left years and years ago. God's not in false teaching. God's not in false doctrine. How, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing that I have rejected him? What did he reject him for? For making a sacrifice when all he wanted was obedience. Read 1 Samuel, see that. He said, but if we confess our sin of adjusting to the darkness, he's faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Folks, listen. That's what John was saying. Listen, folks, here's the problem that's confronted the church for too long. The church has made concessions. We've adjusted to the darkness because of circumstance, because of culture, from all these things that we find ourselves in. And he said, listen, that has effectively shut the door to any progress that the body of Christ can make. Folks, we've got to come back to that place where the truth and the light is enough. Now, folks, I, I, I love a good time in the Holy Ghost just like anybody else. I'm, I'm Pentecostal to the core. I, I love the chill bumps. I love all that stuff. But there's no way that I'm going to sacrifice the truth for experience. Because if I never have another experience, you know what? The Word is still enough for me. If I never have a, have a happy-go-lucky time, the Word of God is still enough for me. It's still enough. If I if I'm if I'm if I'm if I'm persecuted, the word is still enough for you for me. If I go through trials and tribulations, the, the word of God is still enough for me. That's where my fidelity is. It's not in any of these other things. It will come and offer me something else, offer me a reprieve from anything else. It always comes back to the word of God. But if we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Folks, listen. God loved the world so much, did he not? That he gave his only son, that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Didn't he tell us that? He's saying, listen, 
Here's my motivation for you. My motivation is that I love you. Folks, love isn't what God does. Love is who God is. Do you love the truth? Because he is the truth. He rejects us when we don't become lovers of his truth. Truth was made manifest in his son, Jesus. My motivation, God says, is that I love the world. My motivation is that I love. But by grace you're saved through faith, not yourselves. That's that verse, those five that I gave you. It's not yourself, it's the gift of God. My motivation was that I loved you. But I'm giving you the, 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 the pattern. I'm giving you the, the antidote for where you were. And it's me drawing you by my spirit, my grace, and giving you the truth where you can be saved. Why? Well, because without that faith, it doesn't matter what you experience. It's impossible to please him. Faith comes by how? Hearing? Hearing by the word of God. We know where it comes from. He said you've got to have faith. Folks, if you're here tonight and you do not have a regular consumption of God's word, I'm not talking about what you heard. Somebody else said, I'm not talking about what you hear on a Sunday night. If you're not in the Word of God, you're in trouble. You're not okay. If the only time your Bible comes out is when you have to carry it from the, 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 the dresser to the Bible study or whatever it is, you're not okay. What happens? You've departed from the faith. That is your source, not just one time. It's our source every single day. He says, Matthew 3, 1 and 2, in those days John came preaching in the world today saying, repent, think different. John came, he said, listen, I'm telling you something. I'm about to tell you something. The way I think is because I heard and I'm still hearing. I saw and I'm still seeing. I touched and I'm still touching. And so I've got something driving me that causes me to think differently. So John came and he dropped the bomb on him. John the Baptist, in this case, he said, listen, I'm telling you, you've got to think different. You thought just doing all these things, doing all this ceremonial stuff was enough. I'm telling you, it's not just those outward things. He's going to deal with the inside of your heart. You've got to think differently. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I love you. Folks, we can't adjust to the darkness. That's what we told the church in, in, the, in the first century, 60 years afterwards. We've got to constantly come back to that place of saying, I'm going to seek the Lord while he may be found. I'm going to call upon him while he is near. I don't want that adjustment to be in my life. I want to come back to that clarity. I want to come back to that, that fidelity. I want to come back to that dependence upon the Word of God and allow it to be the foundation and the standard that's rising up regardless of those floods. Folks, I, I've got an advantage here tonight because I know most of you, and I know the floods that come at you from all types of ways. I know the circumstances and the challenges that come up. Folks, the, 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 the standard that rises in those situations is always going to be truth. Truth is going to hold those things back. As you begin to, to build up the foundations of your life and you begin to walk in truth and you say, I don't care what I see. I'm more concerned with what God said. I want to be obedient to Him, something eternal, rather than all these temporal things that always seem to steer me in the wrong direction. I believe tonight, we're going to pray. I wanted to take the time tonight so we would have time to pray. 
Pray that God will bring a revelation in those areas that we adjust to the darkness. That we come in and we've just stood there for so long and we make concessions for those things. Folks, it's time. I believe that God is going to do something in his body, just like he did in the first century. I believe God wants to bring us to that place so he can use us. But the only way that he can use us is to bring us back to that place that we're lovers of the truth and lovers of God's word. Can we stand up tonight?